Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Our relationship rule is our rule of formation today. This idea that our character is crafted in community. And let me uh, draw our attention in light of this principle to, you have your Bibles open, to Hebrews 10, all right? If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be up on the screen, but here is our teaching text for this morning where we are going to unpack this biblical rule and the value that it brings. Uh, Hebrews 10, let's look at verse 19 down through 25. This is a section here where the author of Hebrews is pivoting on the arguments that he's made up to this point. The book of Hebrews is written for um, Christians who have Jewish backgrounds, who are kind of half, uh, one foot in, one foot out. They're following Jesus, they believe the gospel, they believe he's the Messiah, but they're still prone to their old religious systems and ways. And so the author's intent in this book is to bring, how do I say this? It's like he wants to bring these Christians all the way to Jesus. Not like kind of close to Jesus, not like I got a little bit of Jesus, I grew up, I went to VBS, you know, I know the verses. But he's like, no, 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 being a Christian means come all the way on the team here. Come all the way over to Jesus. Come out of your religious system, come out of your works-based theology, and enter into grace. Enter into Jesus. Come through the door that's been opened to you through the gospel. Look at what Christ has done on the cross. And and the argument in this book is this. It's a much better way. (laughs) I love that. That's really the point of Hebrews. The way of Jesus is better. What he has accomplished is better than any earthly or old religious system. So it's in light of that that the author says in verse 19, look at what this verse says, Therefore... Brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We can come into the the presence of God through what Christ has done on the cross. You don't need a mediator. You don't need to do a song, a dance, a macarena, a prayer, this, that, or the other to earn enough of God's favor because Jesus has done it all. Therefore, we just step into what Jesus has done, which has made a way for us to come to the Father. Having boldness to enter the holiest place in God's presence by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living Way, not an old dead way, but by a new and living way which he consecrated for us. Look at this imagery, this Old Testament imagery, through the veil that is his flesh that was tore for us on the cross. And having a high priest over the house of God who is Jesus himself. In light of all this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. In light of these truths, let's live in light of it with assurance of faith. Let's hold fast to the hope that has been secured for us. Why? Notice this. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling ourselves together, even when the school district messes things up. Did I just say that out loud? As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. 25, one more time. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner and habit of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word this morning. We thank you, God, that our lives have what they need in you. And that's our hope. We don't look within today, God. We look to you. We gather this morning acknowledging our need for you. We're we're here. We're physically present as an expression of that reality, as an expression of that faith, God, that we need you. And we're confident, God, that you want to give yourself to us, that you're generous, that you don't withhold your goodness and your blessing, but you want to pour out your spirit upon us. 
You want to pour out your love upon us. And so, God, we're here for that. We're here as kids to meet with our Father and to receive all that he has for us. So, God, that's my prayer in this time, that this would be a family meeting. And that, Father, you would minister to us. Jesus, you would be central. And Holy Spirit, you would come and you would speak. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, this being the fourth and final rule, I think it's appropriate. They say, you know, you save the best for last. And I don't ever want to pit one rule against the other. But for me, this fourth and final rule of formation, this principle that basically our lives are the product of our relationships, this has been the one that has rung the most true in my own spiritual journey. Certainly, we, we talked the first week about the heart. Keeping the heart is important. We're formed from the inside out, so the condition of your heart will set the course of your life. That's really valuable. We talked in the week after about the rhythms and patterns that we employ. Even in this passage, it talks about some dangerous patterns of avoiding community, and that's also essential and true. As we've started our, our new year, we were very ambitious, as we do every year, with resolutions and we realized probably quickly that at the end of the day, it's really my rhythms that are going to determine who I become. Not what I resolve to do, but what I actually practice. And so practices are important. The third week, I want to say last week, but it was two weeks ago, we talked about our attention. This principle in scripture that we become what we behold. That whatever it is we gaze upon and center around in our lives, it's going to shape us whether we recognize it or not. And we have something we have things at the center of our lives, and we want that ultimately to be Jesus. And those are all true. In fact, each of these rules are equally true, but maybe this is me just kind of being selfish here, but I know for me, this is certainly one of those rules that I've seen play out and prove as true time and time again. And I can go, you know, I, I can give you like modern examples of right now and talk about how I am the man I am today and all, with all my, my strengths and massive weaknesses um, because of the people that God has placed in my life that have, that have kept me going in faith, that have exhorted me and called me to a higher standard and have loved me at my worst. I, I can kind of spiritualize that, but if I could even simplify this for a second, this has just always been true in my life, and we all know this, that we tend to take on the character and the qualities of the people around us. I mean, even looking back, it's, it's, it's a great exercise to do time and time again, which is to review the things that you forgot that you've posted online. You ever done that? You're like, who is this guy? Oh, you did this. Okay. Um, and it's fun to kind of do the vault thing, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, and you can see even the different seasons of your life and even the clothing decisions that you were making at one point in your life that were maybe different than the decisions you're making today. And that's true. Why? Because, well, we're shaped by our communities. From fashion to spirituality, we are the product of our relationships. I, I can see this in recent years. I can look back to my teenage skate time years where I was, you know, even in the skateboarding world, there's, the fashion weaving is interesting. Like, you, I, I feel like I could never keep up. And I tried for a moment. I went into the classic, like, skater gangster phase I've got photo evidence, unfortunately, to prove it, um, which will hopefully soon be uh, destroyed. But um, just even in, in the world that I grew up in, it was like, okay, it's not baggy pants anymore, it's skinny pants. Like, you gotta be like, skinny boy is cool now. Skinny used to be like you're a loser if you wear really tight pants. But now if you wanna be like the pros, you gotta do the tricks with like basically tights on. And so like you had to get the skinny pants. And then just the other day, I took Judah to the skate park, my son, and he's like, we're trying to raise him to just be like, dude, just do you. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that is, that's cool. Cool is not trying to be like everyone else. Cool is doing, being who God made you to be. And he, he was mentioning how there was a kid at the skate park who was getting, like, kind of made fun of because his pants weren't baggy enough. Like, now it's come full circle. So we're going back to the 90s is kind of the look again. And this kid, he had these, like, joggers on. And, like, to me, I was like, those are pretty baggy. He's like, the kid's literally talking to his friend. Me and Judah are listening. He's like, man, I was telling my mom, mom, they're not baggy enough. Like, he was, like, talking about it. And I felt so bad for this kid, like, because he cares so much about, like, having the fit showing up at the skate park. Um, it's funny because we got, like, the Ramp 48 skate staff is actually right there with Sam and Alan, so they know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, hey guys. Um, 
It's, it's crazy. It's crazy just kind of keeping up with the Joneses, right? Keeping up with, with the trends. Um, but it's just also a rule of life. It's a principle. It's a truth that you and I are a lot more influenced by the people around us than we tend to realize. Like this might be one of those points and one of those rules that is the most known and yet at the same time most overlooked. Most known, my relationships have a big part in who I'm becoming but yet most overlooked because we think that we're invincible. We think that we're a lot less influenced by others than we really are. Kind of a a funny example of this, and I I thought of um, one that might be relevant, uh, and it's Judah. He's in this stage now, and he's obviously kind of in the skate world. But uh, one one thing that's really fun to, to watch with Judah and his buddies is how they're kind of similar. They all kind of take on the same thing. I forgot to mention this. So this is Judah. I want you to notice this with two of his best buds at one of their their, uh, birthday parties. They were doing some tubing. And what I want you to notice in this picture is their hair. Do you see this? And there's actually a fourth one, like a fourth musketeer in the group that that also has the same do. And and now recently, one of his friends cut their hair. So now all the other friends are going to, they got to cut the hair now, okay? Like we're the long hair squad, all right? But, But whether it's Judah, me, or you, this principle stands the same. And time and time again, you see scriptures pointing to this truth. And really, if we were to look at the Bible, right? Like what does the Bible have to say about the fact that relationships are shaping me? What you're going to find in Scripture is two general warnings in light of this principle, that your character is being formed by your community. The first warning is what we'll call an engagement warning. There's some engagement warnings in Scripture, which are basically saying, in light of this truth, be cautious and be careful about who you do life with. This is an interesting concept. This is all throughout the Bible. These ideas that say individually first, just you, this is to the church, but just think of your own life. You do need to, Scripture would cause you to be cautious and careful about who you do life with. And and, and I've got to thread the needle here a little bit because we know Jesus was the friend of sinners. And what we don't want to create with a theology like this is what evangelicalism has done for the past couple of decades, which is just create subculture Christianity that's fully separate from caring and loving and befriending the world. And I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being the loving, faithful presence of Christ in friendship to your non-believing friends. I'm talking about the people that you bring in most closely, assuming that you have some people there or that you know you need some people there. And if that's true, The scriptures would say, be cautious and careful about who those people are, about who you do life with. Uh, This is one of the, I think, like the most simple, explicit ones. Proverbs 22, 24 says, make no friendship, look at this, with an angry man, or we could say an angry person. And with a furious man, do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Now, again, we got, we got to be careful as we interpret this and read the Bible because what this can create if you don't have a gospel-centered heart is this kind of prideful thing that's like, yeah, people are too sinful to be my friend, you know? And it's like, well, that is, that is appealing in and of itself, and everybody must want to be your friend, you know? Um, but, but kind of back that up. Look at, look, let's just look at this principle. This is in Scripture. Be cautious and careful. Here's an example where it's like, be careful if you have a close friendship with an angry person Lest you learn his ways, you'll become just like the person you do life with. Just be careful. Now, this is not just in the Old Testament. Probably the most common and and famous is here in the New Testament. Have you heard this expression, do not be deceived? We tend to overlook this, but don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. It's just true. Like, in as much as I could give testimony for all the positive ways that God has used the church to transform my life, I also have seasons of my life where I look back upon and I go, man, I miss what God had for me because of who I was doing life with. It's just true. Um, even as, a, especially, let me say this, as an early Christian, when you're first beginning to follow Jesus, you know, everything is most vulnerable when it's kind of in its infancy state. And I found that's true, too, of a new Christian. And I, I started surrounding myself with, myself with some of the old friends. And it just it didn't manifest good things as much as it would now as I've been walking with the Lord a little bit more. And I have some closer friendships nearby. But the, the principle is true. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now, this is so true. I'm just going to hammer this a couple more times, then we'll back off of it. This is so true that you have some of these even heavy warnings and exhortations that Paul will give to the church at large. 
about who they should be in fellowship with and who they shouldn't. Have you read these verses and you're like, oh my gosh, that's in the Bible, right? Like that's not, we read these verses and we're like, I didn't know. Like that's not like in people's Instagram bio. And I don't know if it should be. That'd be weird if that was like your Instagram bio verse. But, but look at this in 1 Corinthians 5. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul's writing to the church of Corinth and this is a church that is basically jumbled into a mess theologically, practically, sinfully. And one of the biggest issues you have in the church in, in this context is you have people living in blatant public unrepentant sin. Blatant public unrepentant sin. And Paul's writing to them, and he's like, that's not, a little leaven's leavening the whole lump. This isn't good for the church. God is creating a holy bride. He's transforming his people. And just that evil company in the church, it's, it's going to produce negative things in my bride. So he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company. He calls out some specific sin with sexually immoral people. Now, check out this next verse. This, Paul is so cool. Check this out. He goes, yet I certainly don't mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, you know, your cousin, your neighbor, or with the covetousness or extortioners or idolaters, since I love this, since then you gotta get hit up Elon Musk and you gotta get out of the world, all right? He's like, that's certainly not what I'm saying. I'm certainly not saying, like, don't be a friend of sinners in the missional way that Jesus was, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is so I'm a follower of Jesus. Paul would say, Well, let, let him who name the who let him who names the name of Christ. Paul says, depart from iniquity. Like, that's the calling. And he says, so if you have a brother and, and they're in re re repetitive, unrepentant sin or covetousness or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to, don't even hit up chilies with that person. Like, don't even eat with such a person. Obviously, the picture here is you share meals with those that you're in fellowship with, you're doing life with. Like, I didn't write this, by the way. This is some heavy stuff meant to guard the church. This is why there's such a thing in the church called church discipline, where in loving grace, we call someone to the life Jesus has for them. And when they're rejecting that, we say, listen, until you can get things right, we fear that you're negatively influencing others around you, whether it's with your lifestyle. This, this gets really dicey. I know there's all sorts of counter arguments to this, and that's why you join a community and you have fun, all right? Actually, don't do that. Don't, like, a little community note. If you show up to community group to argue, people won't like you, okay? Like, they won't. Like, we show up to community to get to know each other, so we don't, we don't want to do that. But it's not just how you behave. The Bible also urges us to be cautious about even those who are Christians that have theological, major theological errors. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, Paul's writing Thessalonians filled with sound doctrine. He says, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy. Isn't that beautiful? But admonish him as a brother. So we're able to see, if we're mature in Christ, the goal here is that we're able to see the severity of this, yet also see the spirit of this, which is love. It's love for the church, and it's not, by the way, like love for the church at the expense of that person, but it's love for both people in action. So, so this is the first, and maybe just kind of think about that for your life. I don't know what the application is. I'm just here delivering the mail, all right? And so however that relates to where you're at, like however you look at your life, maybe you just need to go, man, do I need to be, am I being cautious and careful about who I'm doing life most closely with? And there's, are there some examples there where I've, I mean, there's, there's friends that I need to continue to pursue and love and this like kind of gospel purpose, you know, intent in my relationship. But then there's some friends that I, I realize like are central to my life and I, I need to distance a little bit. That's the first kind of warning, engagement warnings. The second kind of warning we see in scripture, we, we, we would see this as well. We would see in light of this principle, disengagement warnings, kind of another side to this. On one side, it's like, don't just dive headfirst into a ton of relationships with, without really evaluating how that may affect you. But the back side of this, another side of this, is actually what we saw in the text that we read, our teaching text, which encourages us to be cautious and careful about this extreme that says, okay, I won't do life with any sinful people. I'll just be over here doing life alone. It's like, well, no, because you're a part of the fellowship of strugglers and you need community. Um, and this is another principle that's, that's shared all throughout the Bible. We'll start with the Old Testament, and then we'll get into what's called upon and expected of the church.
okay? In the Old Testament, there's just simple wisdom on this. Proverbs 18.1 says, a man who isolates himself, notice this, seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. That is a really strong way to say he's acting a fool. He, like, it's not just that you're being foolish if you're living an isolated life. You are raging in your isolation against all wise judgment. Usually it's because you're seeking your own wisdom and your own, like, this is one of the biggest dangers of isolation is thinking that you need it and that you're better off by yourself and people don't know you like you know you and people don't know as much as you know. Scripture also says, don't be wise in your own eyes. There's a tendency to operate like this. Can I say, by the way, like, this can, um, this can look like not being a part of a fellowship, a church at all that's really popular these days, Jesus and me, Christianity. But this can also manifest itself in a church. Like, you can, did you know that you can be in a community but not be in community? You can be like a church attender, a church visitor, a church goer, but not be a church member. Member. Now, I don't hesitate, by the way, to use that word, church member. Based on your background, some of you guys are like, you know, oh, is this where they make me give 10% before I leave, you know? Others of you are like, yeah, covenantal membership of the church of God. You know, like, you're, you're I don't know, Church of England stuff there, I guess, but... You know, we've, we've really tried to, like, thread the needle here as a church community with this idea of membership and member and non-member uh, because I'm sensitive to some of our backgrounds and, and I'm, I'm sensitive to some of the dangers of, like, unhealthy leaders and abusive systems and really, like, non-servant-leading, proud spiritual leaders that use membership as a means of selfish gain. And that is a thing, I'm sorry if you've experienced that. And that's a problem, and we got to be careful with that. And yet I'm also sensitive to what I see as like a toxic disease in the American church where in the name of reaction, we don't actually commit to the people of God. We actually don't do life with the church of God. We're isolated. And so we've tried to, as a church, just kind of go, what's the middle ground here? So even in our, our, our Welcome to Solace class where people are new and they come in, we, we try to articulate, like, what our heart and hope is for Christians. And it, it's usually centered around this idea of, especially as it pertains to membership, it centers around this idea of, are you functioning as the member that you are in the body of Christ? That's really it. So, like, this is what we'll say. We'll say... It's not a question. Like in the Bible, if you're a Christian, you, you've been saved by the grace and the love of Jesus. You've put your faith and trust in him to save you and not in yourself. You put your hope in his resurrection as your hope as well. If that's you, whether you agree with the word or not, the Bible calls you a member of the body of Christ. You're a member. Welcome to the church family. Welcome to the membership. You're, you're a member. You're a member of the family of God. This is all throughout the Bible. We know this, right? We've seen these verses. 1 Corinthians 12 says you are the body of Christ and you are members individually. Like this is certainly biblical language. Uh, additionally, in Ephesians 2, I love this. It says you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. This is incredible. This is what the gospel gives us, not just a new father, but a new family. Like you're a member of the body. The question isn't if you're a member, it's are you functioning as one? Are you living and serving as a member of the body of Christ expressed through the context of the local church where that membership is displayed? A consistent theme that we see all throughout the scriptures, an expectation for us as Christians to not just be consumers of the church ministry, consumers of the program, but in covenant relationship with one another. Now, here's what I think that looks like in a local church. It looks like these three things displayed on a weekly basis, commitment, connection, and consistency. Like this is what a, a member of a church, functioning as a member of the body, a member of the family, is, is going to, to look like. There's gonna be commitment, which is a Christian curse word, isn't it? 
especially in the church world, like commit? What? It's like, do I have to sign a contract? Like, can I, is it a year lease? Wait, can I break it? If like, you know, things go crazy up in the church, you know? What if the worship's better at this church, okay? Like, so it's kind of like a hard thing for us, but, but it's not a hard thing for the New Testament writers because commitment was what it meant to be a part of a family. And, and it's interesting because in our context, we have something different than what the early church had, which is we have options. Options. The early church, one option, be a Christian or die. That's really what it was. Go to church or die. There's one church, if you go to it, you're a Christian, if you don't, you die. Like, I mean, it's literally what it is. Like, the idea is, like, be, be a Christian, fellowship in that way. And so we have to, in, even in our culture, we have to recognize the American tendencies that we bring in to our approach to the church, to our approach to relationships. And we can come in with this consumer mindset, and, and God says, listen, it's something to pray about. So we even, at, at our class, we don't, like, do this whole presentation, and then we're like, okay, now before you leave, are you a member yet, you know? But we do challenge people to say, hey, pray about it. Like, God's heart for you might not be to be committed to, to solace, but his heart is for you to be committed to a church. So pray for that and discover that. It also looks like connection. So you're committed, but you're also in relationship with the people that you're doing life with. Or rather, you're doing life with them. You're in a community group. You're growing in relationship and in your faith together. And there's, for that all to happen, there's got to be consistency. Like, you show up. You show up to the gathering on Sunday. You, I didn't even say on time. I just said, shoot. now, please do that, okay? But you show up. You're present. You're consistent. You're, you're there. You're showing up in community. And this is what the body of Christ is, is called to function like. This is Jesus' vision for his church. When he calls the disciples to follow him, this is so important. He goes, I'm, I'm calling you to follow, follow me. I'm going to form you. I'm going to shape you. But I'm going to do that as you follow me together. That's the big idea. He doesn't call Andrew over here, have a little thing with him there, and then, and then call Peter over here and have his thing there. And, you know, and they've got political differences and all these things. You know, so we've got to separate the small groups based on the perspectives. And, you know, and, and we're going to have Simon the Zealot over here. And we're going to have Matthew the tax collector over here because they're cultural enemies. Okay? No, Jesus is like, come together, everyone. Come around the table, you eclectic group of disciples who have really nothing in common except for me. Which is more than enough. Which is more than enough to have some new best friends. Which is more than enough to be a part of a community. You have a community of eclectic, different people that have been saved by Jesus and are following Jesus, and they want Jesus together. That's Jesus' vision for the church. And so in that teaching text that we read early on, we see this being stressed. We see the author of Hebrews making this point that we as Christians, we cannot forsake life this way. We cannot forsake assembling ourselves together. And don't just like think of this as we traditionally do. We're like our modern concept of church because of how we've done church for so long is we think assembly and we think of a stage and a microphone and a preacher and a band. Like I want you to think as, as of, now this is essential. We're going to gather around the word of Jesus, his worship. We're going to do that as a community every week. But in that culture, when they think assembling, they don't think shoulder to shoulder looking at the back of each other's heads. Oh, I went to church today, looked at the back of someone's head and a preacher. Like church, that, that might be a part, sorry, being a part of church means you got to look at the back of someone's head. But it's so much more than that. Assembling together, look at the language used. You're exhorting one another. Do you see that? It's face-to-face -face ministry. It's life together. You're, you're like all up in each other's lives. This is the vision of church in the New Testament. Life together, not just Sunday together. And, and he said this, here's the danger we talked about spiritual habits. Well, he says there, there's the spiritual habit that some have to where that's not even a part of their Christian experience. They're isolated. They come to church, and all they ever do is look at the back of someone's head. They're not actually, listen, being known. They're not actually connected. They're not actually walking with the people of God. Now, this is so important, seeing this principle, seeing Jesus emphasize it. I want, if I could just kind of summarize what the scripture says about this in one sentence. If there's like an insight or a big point that I want us to think about as we leave today, it's this principle. Community 
as a Christian, isn't an additive to following Jesus. It's the very essence of it. Doing life in close proximity and relationship with people who are especially not always like you, most of the time that's what God uses, is not just like an additive to the Christian faith, it's the essence of it. Meaning, you know, it's not like you have, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus, and it's like, and I do prayer. There's prayer. You know, I help the poor. That's a Christian thing. I, I go to church. You know, I read my Bible, and I do community. I do community sometimes. There it is. It's like my checklist. That, that's not the idea. The idea in Scripture is we do all these things together. Now, that doesn't mean like every devotion you have, you have to be with someone, okay? We know, okay, I, I can't do a devotion today because when two or more are gathered in his name, it's just one of me. Obviously not, okay? Jesus also says, there's like the opposite danger of this is where like your only relationship with God is through the church and you don't have something that Jesus talked about which is like a secret relationship with God when no one's looking, so have that, okay? That's extra, all right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the opposite, we're talking about an approach to the Christian faith that puts community to the side as an additive. I need to add, you know, I need to add that to following Jesus. For Jesus, following him, hey, disciples, come follow me, meant come do that in a messy community of people doing it as well. Come do it together. Now, it's interesting here in this passage that we read where Paul is, is expounding on membership and, and life together and being committed and connected. As Paul is talking about the danger that we have to avoid life in the Christian life this way and to reduce it to an isolationism that's not found in Scripture. He's emphasizing this, but it's, it's, it's interesting because remember at the beginning, we shared the rule of formation that we're looking at. That rule is that character is crafted in this context. That's what we're talking about. The work that Jesus wants to do in our lives, who he's forming us to be, needs, he chooses to use the body of Christ to accomplish that work. Uh, think of it this way, like your sanctification, your and my formation is a group project. Now, in high school, I hated group projects. You know who hated group projects in high school more? People who had me as their partner. It's always easier to, get, to do it on your own, usually, right? If you can handle the heavy lifting. And even if you can't, sometimes it's like, I'll just, you know. Um, it's much harder to, to go together. But, but you know the classic African proverb that, you know, has found itself in way too many Instagram bios to actually still be powerful. But it is true that we will go fast alone, but we will go far together. You can, you can sprint pretty fast on your own. You can get a lot done on your own. But Jesus knows that who he's really calling you to be, the, the lengths he wants to bring your life, what he wants to do is going to be on the other end of committed community, group projects, having to even suffer through the difficulty of that, the challenges of that. And, and this is also found in those verses that we read. Uh, there in Hebrews 10, I want you to notice uh, there are what I'll call three characteristics. And I know that's probably no different than the word characteristics without the dash, but it was fun for me to play with and do on my computer. Um, but, but, you know, the, the point of this message is that as you do life in community with other Christians, there are character traits, characteristics, areas of your character that God develops uniquely in community. Like there's things that you can only get through community that you could never get on your own. That's the idea. Um, and even in this passage, we see what is almost like, it's been called like the, tri uh, the trinity of, of spiritual fruit. You, you see this in a, in a bunch of different passages, and it's these three specific characteristics. Faith, hope, and love. Three things that only come through committed community, life together. Uh, Paul, he says, don't forsake the assembling. But earlier, did you see he talked about faith, the, the full assurance of faith? Where was that? That was Hebrews 10, 22. He says, let us draw near with a... Full assurance of faith. He, and notice the, the collective language. Then he says, let's hold fast the confession of our what? Let's try that again. Hold fast the confession of our hope. And lastly, he says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love. So do you see this? You see Paul's like, these are the three things. I say Paul, but it's not sure that he's the author of Hebrews, I'm assuming. 
there's these three things that are, 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 are going to come about in your life. They're what God wants to produce in your life, and they're going to come through community. Now, just for fun, this is all throughout the New Testament. Like, this is like this triplet of, of fruit from the Spirit that God wants to bring about in our life, these, these three characteristics. 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul says, I remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. These are like three central things that it's almost like the New Testament it's hoping that as we're reading Scripture, Scripture's reading us, and it's having us go, is there faith, hope, and love in my life? Time and time again. I love this one in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. It says, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know why I love this? Because this is like a minimalist armor of God. You know the armor of God? Ephesians 6, it's like, I don't even know what else. Like the helmet, the shoes, the, the gloves, the feet, the belt. This is, like, this is like you're going to the beach, you know, just like breastplate and a helmet. I'm like, that's, my, that's me. That's my armor right there. It's like, keep it simple, all right? But, but he says that. He says it's a breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Colossians, look at it here. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. And right now you're going, Andrew, you've shared every verse about this except the main one, which is 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which says, here's the Christian life. Abide. This is the goal. Jesus has saved me. Now what do I want to do? I want to remain in faith. I want to abide in hope. I want to abide in love. These three, and the greatest of these is love. So, so this, look, this is what God is seeking to produce in us. This is what you most need right now. It's what I most need right now. What, what is the thing that you're like, no, I need this. No, this is what we need. More than we need our world to be different. More than we need our circumstances to change. I'm telling you, the thing that you need is faith. You need hope. You and I, we need more love. And, and Paul is stressing this to the church. It comes through community. It comes through doing life together. And I think it's, it's interesting. It's kind of unique. Like faith. Think about this. Like how does faith come through community? How is it that God builds our faith? I thought of you know, I, I like to work in kind of three points. I thought of these three things. This, these are key ways that God builds our faith and grows our faith in community. First, what we'll call it edification. That's when faith is built up. It's a word used all throughout the Bible to basically say, it's a word that means like you're fortified and you're strengthened in your belief. The, the, the pieces that were missing that was like making it structurally integral were, were filled in through community. You're built up. You're made stronger. One of the, the main ways this happens in Scripture, there's two ways. One way is through our words. We speak words of life and edification. It's why we're in community, is we want to come to church. We want to hear the word of Scripture. But we want people who know our life, who can speak the words of Scripture specifically to what I'm going through. And it builds us up, even prophetically, if the Lord gives you that. It's giving exactly what God has to say to you through community. That's how he speaks, through his people. And so there's, there's edification where faith is built up. This is a huge one. I'm sure we, we could all probably attest to this in some season. Have you ever had your faith called up in community through exhortation? In other words, this is what exhortation is. You're here, and someone looks on, and they go, hey, I think God made you to be here. And so they give you a word of exhortation. They go, I see how you're living. I see your decisions. And I just believe God has so much more for you. So I'm calling you up to what the Spirit of God is doing in your life. I'm so thankful for the hard truth. Like, this is, everyone loves this one, right? It's like, mm, build me up. I love it. This one's where people find a new church, usually. Which, by the way, is one of the best ways to avoid what God's doing in your life is just find a new version of whatever's hard. Ooh, it's Marriage. I'll get a new one. I'll just get a new. Seriously. Church? Oh, it's big in church. Oh, I, just, I don't like how they were so honest with me. Let's get a new church, you know? Or I can start over and put the facade back up. I mean, genuinely, this makes me sad. It makes me sad when this is abused, and it makes me sad when this is avoided and missed. Um, 
The scriptures say in Hebrews, listen to this, it says, Exhort one another daily, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Like, you and I have blinders. We've got blind spots, and there's no technology to help us see it outside community. And the work of the Spirit to be like, hey, danger, danger, danger. I see that. It's so valuable. Kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. That tells you what you need to hear because they love you. This hurts, but it helps, is the point, right? Uh, lastly, what, just go with me on this. Um, excavation, okay? And this was, this is, I definitely used uh, the internet for, to find the other E word, but still spirit-led. Um, excavation is the idea of drawing out or bringing up what's been dormant in your life. And there's a way that community brings out areas of your faith that were dormant, unlike anything else. Like gifts arise, new callings arise, new ministry arises. There's something to how community surfaces what God has put in us. And maybe you're like, I'm trying to figure out what God is doing in my life, and I just, I just, I'm trying to excavate it myself, and maybe that's the problem. Like, be in community. Just start doing life with the church. I'm telling you, this is how you discover your gifts. You get around other body parts, and you start serving. And all of a sudden, people start saying, like, hey, you're really good at that. Like, you're gifted at that. It's amazing how that works. So a big part of faith. What, what were the other two? Faith. I know, I'm just seeing if you, okay, you're with me. Good. Hope and love. Now, hope. How is hope crafted in community? Abide in these three, faith, hope, and love. Um, hope is an interesting one because there's a difference between having hope as a reality because like let me say it this way if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus however you feel today you have hope there's hope outside of your feelings isn't that good and here's why you look back and you go Jesus rose from the dead and that's not conditioned upon how I feel that's a fact and so there's, there's substantial hope. But there's a difference between having hope as a reality and having hope as a trait in your heart, as a belief, as a confidence. I deal with a lot of Christians where, where in ministry where some people, it's like, no, you need to, like, you feel very hopeful, but you need to pay more attention to the theology and the, and the truth. And then there's some other cases where everyone, where people go, I, I know what's true, but I'm not abounding in hope. Maybe because of, can I just say this? Because of perpetual disappointment and difficulty. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And some of you are here today and you just got to, it's not that you have bad theology, you just have a sick heart. You know the verses. You know what's true. Like, can I tell you, can I tell you what you need? You don't need more knowledge. You need a friend. You need someone who can minister the hope that you know to be true in your life. You need someone to see farther for your life than you can. That can look beyond where you're at and say, listen, hold on. Let me strengthen your hand in God. This is who he is. This is who I've seen him be in your, be in your life. What, what you need, listen, can I tell you what a lot of our hearts need? Healing. Which is the ministry of the body, the ministry of the spirit. It's not the ministry of some formula. It's experiencing Jesus through his people. And he does that. He brings healing to even hurt and sick hearts. Such a beautiful thing that God does in community. Faith, hope, and love. And I just got to say this. Like, sometimes what's needed for that is courage. Like, you just need a little courage. Like, you just need to kickstart it and get into community and let God do the rest. Watch what he'll do as you just give him some courage. You step out and just watch what he does. And lastly, we'll close with this. Love. Um, the greatest, the goat of the, of the traits here. The Kelly Slater of the traits, okay? That was for a niche group of people. Um, he just won pipeline yesterday, okay. You're like, pipeline, what's a pipeline? Um, construction, okay. Kelly Slater's the goat and so is love, okay. The greatest of these is love, all right, is love. I, lo I love that that he, he almost lets faith and hope kind of be bookends to the greatest, which is, um, this is really interesting. 
Love is the thing that Jesus is, seems to be most concerned with as the mark of our maturity as Christians. That's this whole chapter here. And it's going to be the one thing that's going to remain. It's the one thing that remains for all eternity. Did you guys know that when we get to heaven, we won't need faith anymore? That's awesome. We've got to persevere in the meantime. We've got to trust. We've got to keep going. There's a day coming where our faith will be made sight. We will see Jesus. We will, we will enter the promised land. Hope as well is going to be fulfilled in the very presence and person of Jesus. But love is the one thing that God is building in us now for eternity. And it seems to be what God is most concerned with. Like it's the primary fruit of the Spirit. Have you noticed that? Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love and then all the other things. Um, you go all throughout the Bible. Jesus said this. This is an interesting one. Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples because you make corny bumper stickers. No, that's not what he says. He goes, here's going to be the primary marker of my followers. Not how smart they are, but how well they love. That's amazing. Notice specifically, not just love for neighbor or love for enemy. That's in the Bible too. But just love for each other. Like that is the mark of spiritual growth. And so listen, if we're not growing in love for one another, we're not being formed into the way of Jesus. If we're, if we're growing in everything else, if we're abounding in knowledge, we're abounding in wisdom, we're abounding in all these things, that's all great. But the central characteristic from which all things should flow is a love for God and a love for others. So God wants to produce that love. And how many of us know, like, the kind of love that God wants to produce, it happens in situations where you're stretched to love like never before. Like, by the way, that's how you grow. It hurts. You're stretched. You're working out. And so what God does is he puts you in a community with different people. Like, love doesn't grow in us by going home and saying, God, fill me with your love. Awesome. Filled with it. Here I am, loving. God's like, I'm going to grow you in love. Here's how. You've loved this far before, but now you're going to love this far. You've loved this kind of person. That was step one. I've got 10, by the way, ahead of you, but step two. So, so God stretches us in love, and especially the church. This is what I love about the church. I got some peace. Um, in this room, these are our love challenges, by the way. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to close here. We're going to sign up for community groups. And God's going to grow in love in us in those community groups because we're going to meet different perspectives. Believe it or not, there's, there's more to the world of perspective than just yours. And that's sometimes the hardest thing to love because you see it this way, but they see it from that way. You're both looking at the same thing. Okay? But it's perspectives. That was a challenge of love. Come on. All right? Come on. You know, and the more you grow, the more you're like, how do people love my personality? I'm so weird, you know? That's how we grow, but, but there's just truth. You know, it's crazy how the church brings personalities together into relationship that would never be connected apart from Jesus. Like, most of the time, if, apart from Jesus, here's how we live our life. We meet the person, we're like, not my cup of tea. <laughs> Heading this way, all right? Like, that's how we approach it. We go, ah, I have a personality type of people I do life with. And there's a difference here between like a tribe and, and, and uh, a community. But another one, this is a big one, priorities. Like I see this, this is huge in the church. A lot of division in the church because people have different biblical core values. They're, they're all biblical, but like, no, but my priority is justice and, and, and helping the, the oppressed and, and loving the downcast. And you're like, well, mine is the gospel and we just preach Jesus and that's the, the Bible puts that as a priority You're like well the Bible is like valuing a lot of things and maybe it's philosophical like how we go about those things or even like the there's all every community has like the grace guy I love the grace guy He's just like come here we're all sinners and then every community has the other guy right who's like we've got to obey the Lord guys we're a bunch of why are we He's holy. Be holy, you know? And it's like, those, can I tell you something? Those priority clashes are designed to form the person who, who's in grace and they're tempted towards like licentiousness to have a reverence for the holiness of God. And then you get in community and you're like, I'm a justice, I'm like a righteous, I'm a holy guy. And you're like, well, I have some self-righteousness in my life. And you're teaching me about the gospel. You're teaching me about forgiveness. 
So we need community for priorities. This is another one, preferences. I don't even need to say anything about that. We all got different preferences of how we like the music to sound, how long we like the preaching to be, how, you know, where we like the building to be and, and whatnot. Pastor's haircut, like it's long, all right? <laughs> Trying to look like Judah and his friends, obviously. <laughs> um, lastly, like is this just the most true? And this is why we need community because and love is going to be produced, we all got different problems and issues. And community is hard because what community challenges in us is this tendency where we love this far until someone sins differently than me. Or someone is struggling with the sin that, that either I don't struggle with, so I, I don't show any mercy because I'm like, how could you? Or you've overcome it already. And so there's this subtle pride that you deal with them, not at all like you would have loved to be dealt with, but there's different problems. And so, like, all of this is a big collection of the things that God uses to form us. Ultimately, here is what he's after. And now abide, faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Ultimately, the reason why the greatest of these is love is because we have a Savior that displayed the greatest love of all. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life. And that's what, really, like... This can be such a message that's like tug on the hearts to realize we need community. And you're like, I got to do. Really what we're saying here is, isn't this amazing that Jesus saved us into a family? That's amazing. Thank you, God, that not only did you see me alone and call me to yourself, but you put me in a family. That's what you do. You put the orphan in a family. And so are we functioning that way? Is faith, hope, and love being produced?